when you live in this backdrop that we currently live in where things aren't so great, right? Where money is rapidly evaporating, where people, there's a huge disparity between the wealthy and the poor, where people live with tons and tons of debt, right? Where we're randomly sending money overseas to help people, but we can't seem to help anybody here. And then every time we do seem to try to help people here, right, it just causes more inflation. So I think that like we're in a very bad cycle, right? And something like Bitcoin, I think, even if the government doesn't get involved with it, and that's a whole other topic, right? You as an individual can protect yourself by holding something like this. Welcome back to Bitcoin is Hard. This is a Choice App production about Bitcoin and personal finance. I'm your host, Brian Harrington. And today is the fourth episode in our Certified Financial Planner series of Orange Pilled Financial Planners. We have Morgan Richard, who is the founder of Origin Wealth Advisors, the author of Personal Finance Quick Start Guide, and the host of two podcasts, Money Owners and Bitcoin for Financial Advisors. And I'm going to read you these two sentences from her bio because I love both of them. She says that in her free time, she likes to hang out with her husband, her kids, learn French, play Scott Joplin on the piano, listen to history podcasts, and generally get after it. That last part is what I'm highlighting because today we are going to get after it. Because the very next sentence says, my firm provides real advice to real people who want to get serious about their financial future. The whole goal of this podcast is that we've been trying to elevate the conversation around Bitcoin and personal finance and just the role that Bitcoin can play in personal finance and is playing for more and more real people. So Morgan, with all that said, Introduce yourself and tell us about these real people and tell us about your business. Thanks for having me on, Brian. I'm really happy to be here. Um, yeah, so my firm is now, um, I guess it's eight, it'll be eight years old in August, which is kind of crazy. And when I, I've always been a Bitcoiner, but I've never been really, I hadn't always been a public Bitcoiner. I think in the last couple of years, I've, I've come out more as a Bitcoiner. And that's really a result of me writing a book and being like, okay, how can I market this book? Um, but as a result of that, I feel like it's really finally, I feel like the two worlds that I've always lived in, which is the Bitcoin world and also the financial planning world are coming together um, and really creating this nice experience for clients to have where they know coming in that they're going to talk about Bitcoin with me, which is kind of nice. Um, and But it's still just real people, just the plebs, you know, coming in and needing good financial planning and um, wanting to make sure that they... They fulfill all the aspects of their life that are really important to them and do it in a way that makes financial sense. Yeah. So what, what are the main mistakes that people are making? Like, or is that a, that's too negative of a way of framing it or just like, why do people need financial planning? Why is it helpful? Yeah. So there are many different aspects to financial planning. I think that in the Bitcoin world, we like to think, okay, Bitcoin fixes this, right? And we won't need this financial planning thing anymore. We don't need to worry about this. And I think in some regards, that's true, right? The investment portion of financial planning, which I think people think of when they typically think of financial planning is like, how am I going to allocate my assets? Where am I going to take my fiat money and put it to work so that it doesn't get eaten away by inflation? That part of it does go away. Um, but it doesn't remove investment in general, right? It, it removes the need to quickly invest. So what the government has done, right, and really the, the globe by adopting a Keynesian standard is that they said, okay, there's going to be inflation and we're going to put this inflation in the economy so that it grows. And so thereby you go out and you spend your money as quickly as possible. And not only do you spend your money as quickly as possible, but you also invest your money as quickly as possible, right? Because if you don't, 
then your money is rapidly depleting. So we don't want anybody with money in their mattresses, right? We don't want people hiding stuff from us. We want them either putting it to work in some sort of productive way, quote unquote, that like the government thinks is productive, right? Or that you're going to go and spend it. And so what Bitcoin does, right, is it removes that. It's It kind of gives you more ownership of your money and says, okay, you know, slow down. It doesn't have to be so fast, right? You can decide what you're going to spend your money on. You can decide when you're going to invest. You're going to decide whether or not it's even a good idea for you to invest. And for most people, the answer to that question is probably no. So from a financial planning perspective, right, maybe that aspect of it gets removed or gets shrunk down really, really small relative to what it is today. But there are so many other aspects to financial planning that don't really go away. Um, so to answer your question about like, what are people doing wrong or why do people need financial planning, right? There's something so basic, right, of cash flow management, right? You have money coming in in some regard, you have money going out, right? There should be something left over there. <laughs> like, how are you, you know, how is um, any individual doing something like that? So that's like the first base, like the base block of wealth would be there. And then from there, right, there are other aspects. So once you're able to create that cash flow surplus, then you have other aspects to planning where, okay, maybe I can plan for large expenses or I can go start a business or I want to sell a business so I have some excess cash flow or I need some sort of retirement planning because at some point I'm going to want to slow down and do something else with my life or work by choice or maybe totally retire or making sure I'm planning for you know my eventual age where maybe I have diminished capacity or in some regard, right? There are many other aspects to it or like the estate planning. What kind of legacy do I want to leave behind? How does that look for me? How, including Bitcoin, right? How do I make sure that my heirs get my Bitcoin and they get it in a way where they actually can take control of it rather than it just being, okay, now I have to go on some random treasure map because like, you know, my, you know, my brother was like a crazy nut Bitcoiner, right? And (laughs) has 700 hardware wallets, um, right? So like there are other aspects to that too, that Bitcoiners do need to be thinking about um, and doesn't really go away, even though Bitcoin does fix a lot of the other aspects of financial planning. I was going to hit this later on down my paper, but because you brought up the just the concept of like cash flow management, we've kind of been on this kick on the podcast of talking about these two things of just like the appreciation of an investment that you've made versus like cash flow and whether that cash flow is from your job or from a business that you own or from an asset that you own. What like talk more to just that concept of like having a cash flow surplus? Yeah. So it starts with earning money, right? And I think that this kind of ties in really well with Bitcoin, right? Because Bitcoin gives you the freedom to earn, the freedom to hold your money, and then the freedom to spend it on something. Um, So cash flow management starts with earning. um, And you need to figure out a way to earn money um, or, you know, figure out a way to get somebody to give it to you in some capacity, right? We can argue about whether or not you have to work to do that. But let's assume that you're going to work to do that, right? So earning involves, right, finding a job that you find pleasing, finding a job that gives you purpose, finding a job that you'll want to do for a long period of time, presumably, or a career path that gives you meaning and value that you'll want to do for a long period of time, and then negotiating along the way to make sure that your income is increasing um, proportionately, like with the work that you're doing, right? And, and how you're improving along the way. So I would say that like, people often don't look at that side of financial planning or really um, cash flow management in general. It's like, okay, how can I increase my income, right? Like that's such an easier way than saying, okay, how can I cut every single expense that I have, you know? Um, how do I start selling everything in my home so I can go buy Bitcoin, right? Some of those decisions are a little bit harder to make than just being like, okay, like I'm really good at XYZ thing. Why don't I go out and get that? And then when I prove that I'm really good at it, ask for a raise. In, as, I, in, as I interview more and more of kind of you like fee only, um, that's yeah, fee only like certified financial planners, like it comes across very much to me 
like it's like life coaching. Like it's like hiring a consultant. It's like hiring an expert that's, you know, giving you like they're we hear this term all the time, like not financial advice, not finance like no, you're <laughs> giving advice. Like you're you're you what why I like talking to financial planners is that they've had thousands and thousands of these conversations and watched they they almost have like they have the data of good decisions that people have made and bad decisions that people have made and so every conversation that i have i just try to pick up more and more of those things of like there are like tried and true methods and like there is like there are you can make better decisions like based off of thinking about the way that other people have made decisions so how totally like when so when you're meet you you get into that client meeting person has the introduction meeting with you Talk to us about barriers to people making those better choices or like the the whole concept of like, well, earning more income. Like a lot of people have like limiting beliefs that keep them from believing they can make more income. Like, is that, do you run into that or what happens when you talk about increasing income? Oh, totally. I mean, I think that we all have those in some ways, right? Um, that there's, we have limiting beliefs about all sorts of things, which is why it keeps us from leading that most fulfilled life that we want to have. And then even when we are able to break those barriers down, we get to another place where we have other barriers, right? Because like, that's just kind of the human way, right? You, every time you, you achieve something else, you're like, okay, I have a new goal that I want to go after. So I think that part of that, it is a coaching thing, right? And I think that a lot of advisors get into this uh, not to um, not to say anything bad about advisors for doing this, but they get into a thing where they're like, okay, well, my job is actually as a therapist because, you know, people come in here with all their money problems and they have limiting beliefs and everything else. And I have to sort that out as their therapist. And I just think that that's, that's actually the wrong way to look at it. You're not a therapist, right? You're a financial planner. That doesn't mean that you can't help coach a client and give them the energy that they need to get off the couch and do the things that we, they need to do. Most people need energy, right? They don't need like some Freudian financial planning thing on a couch. Um, so I think that like a, as a financial planner, it's really important to know the, to distinguish between giving therapy versus doing coaching um, and leading a client so that they can make those decisions. I think the other thing that we do as planners is because we are being paid right for our services and for our advice and to also take the burden off of clients to do some of the work, right? That's they're offloading some of this financial stuff that they don't really find all that interesting or they find it burdensome in some way, right? We take too much burden on though. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that this weaves really well into Bitcoin, right? Of like, Bitcoin is about bringing ownership back to the people, about to individual people to hold their money and to, t and to manage their money and to take care of themselves, right? So as financial planners, I think that we need to stop crossing that line of taking too much off of a client's plate and thinking that it's our job to do everything for them. Because at the end of the day, right, they also need to take ownership for their life. And the, the way that they're going to best get results is by leading them there and giving them the energy to do that, but not going too far that you take that energy and ownership away from them. Yeah. I was like, Bitcoin has given, like given me more energy. And I think that that's why, I think that's what we see on Twitter every day. And just all of this like hype around everything and like improving you know, just all aspects of our life. Like you kind of see that come out of people that have begun saving in Bitcoin. Um, and the whole concept of like, oh, Bitcoin is hope. Like you have, you you might have this like financial bedrock of savings that like I, my financial bedrock of savings is larger than it would have been on a separate path, like not Bitcoin. And mm -hmm. so waking up with that understanding every day and going into my job every day and going into every meeting with that every day, like it does open up more doors. And it's almost like, like when you, as you're becoming like successful, 
it's the hitting those next milestones becomes easier and easier and easier because you like you're getting momentum. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that like energy in general, right, is the most important thing as far as it's like it's the feeling you get around your finances, right? So when you wake up in the morning and you feel good about your finances because you're saving in sound money, right, as opposed to you wake up in the morning, and you're like, well, my emergency fund has evaporated because now inflation is 35% and I only had, you know, 20K in my bank account. Oops, you know, like, I guess I'm going to live paycheck to paycheck this month, right? There's a there's a definitely a different feeling, right, with me even just saying that. Then, right. So I like I actually I like to present this to people of like imagine you were paid in Bitcoin, right, mm-hmm. versus paid in fiat. Would that change your spending behaviors if you knew you were getting a good money rather than a bad money? Um, because if so, right, then the thing to do, right, is to convert into Bitcoin very quickly. Because then right away, even though you're not necessarily being paid in it, right, then you mm-hmm. are now owning this asset, and people are generally like. Once you're a Bitcoiner, right, you don't want to really sell your Bitcoin. So you kind of do anything you can not to sell your Bitcoin, right? (laughs) It's kind of the thing. So I think it's like it's changing your mindset around it, right? It's like, how can you get energy to make sure that you can accomplish your financial goals? And for every client, right, that or any person, that's going to be different. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think it's kind of figuring out what that is that's going to that give you that good feeling so that you can go down the right financial path rather than what gives you that bad feeling, which for a lot of people is fiat. Um, and fiat brain and fiat everything that's going on. We just live in like a fiat rotting society, I think, in general. So, I mean, I don't. Do I you drop I, that <laughs> on new people? Like, do new people like how how is that going? Like, describe kind of the typical like family or person that you work with right now. Are are like people just calling you up to learn about Bitcoin and to get help? Yeah, I mean, people are at this point, right? I don't think it's. I think that regardless of what side you are politically um, and where you sort of stand in in like how the world is unfolding, right? People on all sides are pretty upset about the way things are going. Um, so I think that like in some ways, yeah, Bitcoin was born as sort of a libertarian movement, right? Of like take the take the power away from the state and give people their money back type of a thing. But I don't think that that necessarily is what it's going to become, right? I think that like as it as it unfolds and as it becomes the money of the future, it really is the money for everybody. Um, and so I think that it's, it's not something right. Like maybe I don't use cultural rot as like my example when I'm talking to somebody new, but that said, like, I don't necessarily think that it's all out there on a limb that like, by me saying this, right. That people are like, what are you talking about? Life is so good right now. Everything's great. You know? (laughs) So there is though, right. I think that like when you live in this backdrop that we currently live in where things aren't so great, right. Where, um, money is rapidly evaporating, um, where people, there's a huge disparity between the wealthy and the poor, where people live with tons and tons of debt, right. Where we're randomly sending money overseas to help people, but we can't, seem to help anybody here. Um, And then every time we do seem to try to help people here, right, it just causes more inflation. So I think that like we are in, we're in a very bad cycle, right? And something like Bitcoin, I think, even if the government doesn't get involved with it, and that's a whole other topic, right? You as an individual can protect yourself by holding something like this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can we talk about um, families? Like I've seen tweets on your timeline just about helping get your spouse involved in thinking about personal finance. And I saw one podcast episode just about kids and raising kids for, you know, be smart financially. Um, Talk to us about that. What do you see in that area? Yeah. So um, something that I like, this is actually one of my favorite things. And maybe it's because I have a one-year-old and a four-year-old, but Mike, the ultimate goal of parents, right, is to raise a healthy, well-adjusted adult that could then go on to be resilient, make their own decisions, uh, be self-sovereign, right? All of the things that we think of when we think of really like good children becoming adults in the world. Um, And so part of that, right, is giving your children a good financial foundation. 
But in order to give your kids a good financial foundation, right, you need to have one yourself because otherwise you're relying on other people around you to give your kids that financial foundation. So while we can't become maybe an expert in everything, right, there are certain things, though, like day-to-day use of money and how money works and, you know, like basically anything around household spending, right, you can at some point include your children in that. Um, What I've noticed is my son is actually now at the age that we can do that. So I think age four and up is really where it does start. I think prior to that, like we would talk about money, but he was just like, what are you, you know, stuffed animal, TV, you know, (laughs) coloring. It really wasn't a thing. Whereas now it's like, okay, like I have some money. I want to count it. You know, like he gets money for doing certain things. So like there, there are things that you can do. I think the problem though, is that as parents, we want to control everything, right? Because we're like, we know best. And, you know, obviously we do, right? We're way older than them, right? Even, you know, not the smartest parent is going to be better equipped to handle things than their four-year-old child, right? So in some regards, yes, we do know everything. But on the other on the other way, right, the other way to think about it is like they don't learn anything by us giving them everything, right? They learn more by us giving them autonomy. Um, and I guess, I mean, I keep saying this, but it goes hand in hand with Bitcoin, right? It's like people learn more about their money when you give them autonomy over their money, right? Rather than being like, I'll take care of every little thing for you. I'll move money around. I'll do this for you. I'll do that for you, right? I'll pay your bills for you. Then they don't even know what they have going on. So it's the same thing with children, right? And it starts with even, you know, something that's non-financial, which is like getting your kids to help around the house, right? Or getting them to just do little things like make their own food or tie their own shoes, right? At some point we have to say, okay, you know, even though they're not going to do it the way that I specifically do it, they need to learn how to do it. Um, and so it's a conversation that we often have with clients for sure, because a lot, I mean, the median age of my practice is 42. A lot of people have young mm-hmm. kids. We're always mm-hmm. talking about how to get your kids to be more responsible in a way that they can then learn about money and become more responsible with their money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then talk to us on the, about the spouse side. Yeah. On the spouse side. So what used to be, I think the standard is that the husband would deal with all of the financial related stuff in the household. And then the wife would just be like, I have no idea what's going on. And, you know, something happened to him. I think it would be horrible. And, you know, not just because I no longer have my husband, but also because I literally don't know anything about our finances. Right. I think that that's starting to change. Um, but I think on the Bitcoin side, it actually hasn't changed as much, right? Because usually it's the husband who has gone into Bitcoin and who has dragged their spouse along the way along for the ride with them. So on that side, it's really just making sure that the wife understands what they're invested in, right? Or what they're putting their money towards and also how to use it, um, getting them set up on even small mobile wallets, right? To be able to send small payments around is really important. Um, getting hardware wallets set up so that they know how to use it so that they know where they are, right? To know what it is, know what the seat is, know where it is, the whole thing, right? To, to get them really, truly involved. Um, and it's not an easy task, right? I think that this is not something that like the average financial advisor can do, right? If you've got 300 clients and all 300 of them need their, like their wives need to come on board and learn about Bitcoin, right? It's going to be really hard versus somebody like our practice where we have 35 clients. I can spend almost endless amounts of time with the spouses who need help, right? So mm-hmm. Um, I think that like that is sort of it's sort of a testament of how your business is run for sure. But I think that um, more and more we need to get both spouses on board, both the husband and the wife need to know what's going on at the very least, know where it is right in case something happens and who they can talk to about it. Yeah, totally agree. And I've been saying that, too. I think having Bitcoin on both partners phones um, is really important. And that can just be somewhere along the way of a starting point of, you know, having some amount on their phone. So they're they're in proximity to it and can see it. What um, has 
has that gotten, has anything changed over the last like six months compared to, I don't know, two years ago in terms of kind of like partners talking together about Bitcoin? Yeah. So, I mean, what I've seen in my practice is that people are more and more interested in this. Um, like, while this was a very weird and bizarre conversation maybe to have with people in 2016 is now something that people are like, okay, I know what this is. I'm not exactly sure how to do it. Um, both my, you know, my wife and I want to do this, but we just don't know how. Right. And then the, that conversation is very different than, okay, what is Bitcoin? How does it work? <laughs> you know? And yeah, we're still having all of those conversations. Um, and we're in fact having maybe sometimes having more of those conversations as more and more new coins and other things come out. And we're trying yeah. to keep clients away from that kind of stuff and move, bring them back towards Bitcoin of like having conversations about what, what like a decentralized system actually is and what it means versus what some of these other things are pretending to be um, and having like true Bitcoin education. Um, in our firm, though, we do require that spouses are at almost every meeting together. So nobody really does get left behind. There are obviously instances where that's just not possible, um, where, you know, somebody, one of one spouse needs to speak to us about something and the other spouse is not available, right? We're not going to be like, I'm not going to take your call. Yeah. That's just, <laughs> that's yeah. just not going to happen. But yeah, but for the most part, you know, everyone, the expectation is that, you know, both spouses are at every single meeting. So I think that that makes it a little bit easier, right, to make sure that everyone's on board on every aspect of the financial situation, including Bitcoin, right, when everyone's there for everything. Um, and as any advisors who are who are looking to get into this, I think that it's really important that you try to bring the other spouse along as much as you can, um, just because like you don't want them to get left behind. And especially if something happens to your client who is like the main client that you talk to, right, then that spouse is kind of like they're out there and they don't know what to do and they don't even yeah. really know you. And then they're not going to use you, right, because you never even tried to have a relationship with them to begin with. So yeah. like all around, it's just bad, right, because now they're in a vulnerable spot. Um, and they don't have anyone to talk to you. And then you're also probably losing the business because you never made an effort. And yeah. they also don't know what to do with the Bitcoin because they maybe didn't even know that they had any. It's just, just mm -hmm. a bad situation mm -hmm. altogether. But the more you can bring people together and remind them that, hey, we're all on the same team. Like, let's try to, you know, get this in a place where everyone feels good and comfortable and confident, the better the financial plan is going to go for sure. Mm -hmm. what what other tips do you have for let's call it that like leading partner or that partner that's down the rabbit hole and orange pilled what tips do you have for them on kind of not during the meetings just like continue to talk to their partners about bitcoin yeah so i would say stop like berating your partners into wanting to buy bitcoin i think that it's so easy and like i'm guilty of this too right and i think people often think of like when they think of pierre and i they think of pierre being like sort of dragging me along for the ride right but like, it wasn't really like that. Like we were both into Bitcoin. He did introduce me into it. But like I, once I heard about it and learned about it, I was like, oh, I'm kind of all into it. Right. But most people aren't, they're not like that. Right. And most people don't want to hear about Bitcoin 24 seven. Um, like <laughs> they really don't. Right. They want to talk about other things. And every now and then they might want to talk about their money. Um, and maybe every now and then they might want to talk about their money, but they don't want to also talk about Bitcoin at every single money conversation. So I think that that's sometimes hard for people who are fully orange pilled to understand because it's like, I just want to talk about Bitcoin all day, every day, no matter what, because I love Bitcoin so much. And I'm with you. I love Bitcoin, right? I really don't like going to a financial planning conference where I have to hear about people talking about fiat assets and they don't want to talk about Bitcoin. It sucks. I hear you. But your spouse is not like some random person you're trying to orange pill, right? Your spouse is the person that you've decided is your soulmate who you want to spend the rest of your life with. So I think being a little more keen to that, right, of like, okay, when's appropriate for me to have these conversations, right? What would be the right way to introduce my spouse to this? Maybe they don't want to read, you know, this certain person that I really like because it just, 
you know, it's not the right fit for them. Maybe they need, you know, especially if it's a female spouse, maybe they need to hear some Bitcoin content from another woman rather than hearing all of it from men, right? You just need to like know who your husband or wife is and how you want to go about it and really try not to jam it down their throat. Um, but that said, right, I think also making it known that it's important to you and making your feelings known about it rather than what Bitcoin is, your feelings about Bitcoin, right? Your spouse is going to be a lot more in tune with how you feel about something than what something specifically is. And that's often lost along the way, especially because like, I mean, I'm not a man. You would know better than me, Brian, right? But men are generally not as into talking about their feelings, right, as women are <laughs> for the most part. So like, it's not really a normal conversation to be like, the way I feel about Bitcoin is that like, it gives me energy. It makes me excited. Mm -hmm. It gives me life. Yep. You know, it gives me hope, like all of yep. these things, right? That's not really what you talk about when you talk about Bitcoin. You talk about like all the different aspects of Bitcoin and what makes it mm -hmm. great, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and everything mm -hmm. else. So, mm -hmm. and those things are important too, right? But getting your spouse to that point is going to require some other work, some sensitivity work on the side of the husband to make sure that the wife is on the same page. So many multiple things I want to say off that. Totally agree. Um, I want to talk about, I'm going to, throw out a few. I want to go down the path of talking about Bitcoin activism and just like your thoughts around Bitcoin activism. And then because you're correct, the like feelings around Bitcoin and the energy around Bitcoin to me is so combined with the personal finance aspect of it that I weave back and forth between the two so very quickly. And I think that happens sometimes too, where you're like, because taking Bitcoin out of it for a second, I'm obsessed with personal finance. Like I know that about myself. Like I grew up budgeting like with my mom and dad and I like thought about my finances all the way through college. And I thought about my finances as I got jobs, and, like all this stuff. And I, I'm guilty of like watching two, two and a half hours of finance YouTube every day, like after work, like I'm, I'm obsessed about personal finance and I have a whiteboard and I'm like always thinking about it. Like, so, but that like, you're correct. There has to be, even taking Bitcoin out of the conversation, there has to be conversations not about like the personal finances. And so talking about that and then kind of combining all that together, something that I'm more and more interested in talking about and I want to see more just things on is there, like we're, we're talking about bringing one partner along, but there also is now a sizable group of people, many thanks to people like you, like Ian Pierre, like who I would consider Bitcoin activists that have been stacking for a long time. They've been combined and on the same page, saving in Bitcoin, using Bitcoin as their base currency for six, seven, eight year, like years. And this has been a thing now. And they, I kind of feel this thing bubbling up in a lot of conversations that people are kind of asking now what, like now what, now mm. what? And that's why I'm, that's why I'm thankful that this is the fourth episode of our certified financial planner series and that people are thinking about this. And I'm thankful that like, look, our real, our real estate episodes, like get clicks and like get listens because people, I, I don't really buy the common thing on Twitter of like real estate is a shit one. Like people are looking for what should my real estate strategy be? What should my business owning strategy be? Like we have the ability to Bitcoiners as a generation have the ability to have a lot of influence and, and make a very positive impact on the world by continuing to make good decisions. We've already nailed the foundation of like saving in the better currency. And so it's almost now a green, it's almost now a fully new greenfield conversation about now, what do we do? Like as people who like are ahead of the curve and have influence and have the ability to, you know, like really set ourselves up and the next generation for, you know, financial success. So all of that, like what, 
maybe we can tackle those in order, but I'm not sure I'll remember the order. What's your, <laughs> what's your perspective on like Bitcoin activism and the activism side of Bitcoin versus like the personal finance side of Bitcoin? I think it's always going to depend on the person. Um, and I hate to, I, I'm sorry if a lot of my answers are, it depends, but right. It, it does so depend, right? Because what I find really fulfilling and exciting and what I want to do with my money is going to be very different maybe than what you want to do with your money. Um, because we're two different people living in two different parts of the country with two different families and two different like views on what's important in the world. And I actually think that that's a good thing, right? That we have different views. And it's one of the things that I really like about Bitcoin actually in general, right? Is the reason why the code never changes is because there's so many diverse views about what should go on in Bitcoin that everything stays the same. And in fact, I think that the more we have diversity in thought, the better and more secure our money will be, right? And the more we have diversity in thought, the more people will take their Bitcoin that they've been doing, uh, that they've been stacking for a really long time and put it towards something that's meaningful to them and presumably, you know, meaningful to other people in the world that, and even though you and I may not agree on what that is, right, you might agree with, you know, 20, 100 other people who do, and whatever it is that I want to do, right, I might also have a following of people that want to do that as well. Um, so, but I think that it's important to come back to basics before you start any kind of activism on what's important to you. And especially if you're, if you're married, it's not just what's important to you, right? It's what's important to you as a couple um, and what you each want to do with that money. Because even though you can say, okay, the husband maybe is the one who found Bitcoin and stacked all the Bitcoin, right? If you're married, your finances are together and you need to view it as together. It's not one person's money or the other person's money. And I think that couples really do start to butt heads with each other when people start to say in the relationship, especially now when two spouses are working, which most, which a lot of relationships are, where like the, you know, the husband or the wife says, well, this is actually my money, right? Mm -hmm. Once you're, once you're in the my money mindset and you're married, mm -hmm. it's going to go downhill. Mm -hmm. It just is. So mm -hmm. I think getting on the same page about that to start about what you want to do with your combined money um, is mm -hmm. going to make a, a huge difference. Um, we actually offer this service in our in my practice. Um, I do it through Origin Wealth Advisors and also through another service called Money Owners. It's called Life Planning. And it basically takes you through a series of three meetings where exploration is the first one where we have a very high level overview of what's important to you and what the elements in your life are that you want to pursue. And then we narrow it down in a, in a meeting called vision where we go through what's like through a series of questions that we have clients answer. They go through those questions. We review the questions together and then we actually present them with a vision based on those questions of what their life could be like. And then the third meeting in that series is something called obstacles where we go back to that vision and then we start knocking out any obstacles that could possibly get in a client's way of having achieving that vision of like their, you know, all mm -hmm. the elements that are really important to them in their lives. So I think doing that kind of work, right, it doesn't necessarily have to be life planning with me, right? It could, but yep. doing some kind of work where you're really honing in on the important elements in your life and how you're going to prioritize them and also making sure that you're doing it and your spouse are doing it because you're going to have different, you're going to have differing opinions about what is important and you only have a certain amount of money of what you're going to do with that money, right? And then prioritizing between the two of you, what's the most important thing for you to go out there and, and be an activist about. I think like doing that hard work is the best way for you to put your your foot forward in the world. And yeah, there are going to be a lot of opportunities, I think, available to people, right? It, whether it be starting their own business, something that they always wanted to do that they now can do because they have the funds to do it or investing in somebody else's business that they see is like a really good opportunity for somebody else to take, you know, the to to take the torch and and run with it. 
Um, or maybe it's real estate that that's always been something maybe that somebody wants to do, right? Or maybe it's none of those things. Maybe it's starting a foundation or working in the community or giving back to a church or um, another religious organization, right? It's going to depend on the person very much, but knowing what those things are, right? It's going to be mm -hmm. the most important thing. And I think you can tell me if you agree with this, like doing an exercise like that, whether it's directed by someone or you just sitting down together and like having like fierce conversations about what the future looks like, you're. I tell this to people, your, your, your family is going to end up with net more stats than you sitting there badgering the other partner about buying Bitcoin, buying Bitcoin, buying Bitcoin. Like yeah. we talked about low time preference when we talked about playing the long game, like that is the long game. That's the definition of the long game. Like getting that $2,000 buy in today in this week inside this rushed like conversation is like short term thinking. Whereas having a full plan of like, this is where we're going with our lives together is I just think, I think you're going to end up with way more sats, like with that method. Yeah, I totally agree. Also, like, I mean, when you get married, right, you pick your, your partner, your spouse based on you have shared common interests, you have shared chemistry, you have shared love, right? And all of those things make you a really good team together. So to then be at odds at your finances, right? It doesn't make sense. Like you're not going to achieve more separately, right? The whole reason why you came together and you got married to begin with is because you do things better together. So this should just be another one of those things that you do together. Um, we actually have our monthly family. Um, it's, I mean, it's just Pierre and I for now, but eventually I think our kids will be involved. We have our mm -hmm. monthly financial meeting where we go through things together. Um, I don't, I don't think, and it's not really that formal, right? It's just like, we just have it on the calendar because otherwise mm -hmm. we'll forget. Um, and I think it's really important that um, that couples do things like that where you get on the same page and, and it doesn't have to be that every month you review credit card statements and it's like boring and you're picking at each other for spending on whatever you did, right? It doesn't have to be like that every single month. Maybe some months you do that, right? But maybe other months you throw in a topic in there, right? Like this activism thing that we're talking about where you really get on the same page and you spend an hour with each other learning about each other and what makes each other tick, right? You probably know these things, but maybe there are other elements that you haven't shared with each other that would be important to know. Um, and it's not just the elements that are important. It's the feelings that you have around those elements. Um, because sometimes the, the, the element that you want to do is not something that maybe you can even achieve with the finances that you have now, but the feeling might be something that you can't do. Right. So like, for instance, I had a client who like really wanted to own, um, like, I forget which brand car, but it was like a Lamborghini or something like that. Mm -hmm. Right. And like the finances were just not there. Right. It just didn't make sense given their financial situation. They had two young kids. They have other things going on. They can't afford a Lamborghini. Right. But like, when we got into it and we talked about what the feeling of, of him being in the car and what it felt like and all of that stuff, right? When we really laid that out and the wife was like, oh, okay, I kind of understand. It's like the freedom of being in the car. It's like the wind in your hair. You know, it's, there's like a rush that you get. It's exciting. There's all these things, right? Then, okay, it's maybe then we can put like renting one into your plan every now and then, right? Like there yeah. are ways around it. I know that's kind of like a silly example, like in the grand scheme of activism and like things that are important to people. But I think that like the point I'm trying to hammer home here is like, just because you can't do the thing, right? Just because maybe you can't buy a baseball team or like spend, you know, the next eight years traveling around the world because you don't have the finance for it doesn't necessarily mean that you can't hone in on what that feeling is and find another way to achieve it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Throwing this out in the middle of the episode, like I just... I want to really see the industry like a get joint accounts like on the roadmap. Like, oh, all I know. Of the exchanges, all of the exchanges don't have joint accounts. A lot of the credit card, like in debit card points back systems and like these tools, the tools are, I say, tweet this all the time. The tools are so much better than they were two years ago, three years ago, like all this stuff. Like, we have 
you talked about direct depositing to like Bitcoin and thinking about your paycheck in Bitcoin. Like everything is so good. Um, we really need tools like for partners to be able to manage Bitcoin accounts together. I totally agree. The joint account thing is uh, is a huge thing that I, I've talked to about um, with actually with Swan, with also with Unchained Capital. Um, it comes up all the time. Um, it's something I know like they're working towards, but it, you know, it's it's one of those things that I don't think that I think that the people who built out this infrastructure weren't really thinking about what people would actually need. Um, and then all of a sudden, and then adding other people into the roadmap, right, feels like less secure. So I think that's one of the things where like, okay, well, we have to KYC two people. And then like, who was able to log in and pull the money out? And are we responsible mm -hmm. if like one spouse mm -hmm. goes in there and the other spouse didn't know about it? There's that kind of thing. It's the same thing with power of attorneys. There's no power of attorney anywhere, right? So if you, so sometimes like we run into a thing where we have an adult child who has power of attorney over their diminished capacity um, adult parents, right? Mm -hmm. And that's common. Um, and that's actually something that I think the entire industry is going to be up against, right? Because like as the 30 somethings and 40 somethings have their aging parents, right? And they start to get control over their parents' estates, yeah. they're going to want to maybe buy some Bitcoin with some of their, mm -hmm. uh, you know, with some of their assets, maybe not convert mm -hmm. the entire estate, right? But they're going to mm -hmm. want them to have something there. Um, and they can't do it, right? Because a person with diminished capacity can't go to Coinbase and open an account, right? Um, or worse, right? The the child is doing it as the parent, um, even though the parent has diminished capacity. So now you're in it, like, even though maybe they do have power of attorney, they're going about it the wrong way because they have yeah. to. Um, yeah. And so these are like the two major issues that I see right now is like the joint accounts and the power of attorneys. It's like, these are standard things that we have in the financial industry. Um, yeah. And they're not going away because there's Bitcoin, right? Um, I'm sorry, but Bitcoin doesn't fix like your parent potentially getting Alzheimer's, yeah. right? So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also, I mean, furthermore, right, like maybe your parent got into Bitcoin and then got Alzheimer's. Right. And now you're the child with power of attorney and you're like, what's all this Bitcoin stuff? And now I have power of attorney and I can't even get into their account. Um, yeah. Their account's basically locked out and maybe their Bitcoin's gone forever because maybe they didn't store it like on a hardware wallet or whatever. You know, like there are many scenarios that I can think of here where we're just the estate planning is just so off and we're just not there yet. So mm -hmm. um, I wish that um, like. I mean, there's a lot of people like me in the industry that they could be consulting about this kind of stuff, but people, mm -hmm. they're not hearing it yet. So maybe I just need to be screaming a little bit more in my activist, um, you know, <laughs> in my I'll activist help. tower about it. <laughs> I'll help you. I'll retweet every single one of these because, because it pulls us back to what I was talking about, about this. Now what? Like I, I'm ready to talk about now what? Like I'm ready to talk about the tools are here to use Bitcoin, like as your base money. But you you can do that in whatever mm -hmm. if that means direct depositing to it if that means you know holding a lower emergency fund in fiat because you have a large bitcoin like there's so many genres and you can go down every single path of just like which little uh, combination of of ways is best for each person but this just concept of like yeah what is the the just next future of like. I think just Bitcoin couples like crushing it together financially. Like, I don't know, dream a bit for a second and just like throw out what, what do you see? Yeah. I mean, my hope for Bitcoin couples is that, um, that they find the elements that are important to them, that they pursue them, um, whether that be spiritually, whether that be more materially, right. That they go out and they get a bigger house if that's what they wanted, or they get the pool in their backyard that they always wanted. Right. I kind of, I don't like the Bitcoin ethos of like, you know, you hold forever 
and that's the way, right? I mean, at some point, right, what are we doing this all for? We're going to hold a bunch of money and then we're going to die and then, you know, our bodies are going to be dust in the ground and then our kids are going to go squander it on something. I mean, that's generally what happens, right? By the third generation, all your money's gone. So like at some point you have to be like, okay, I've done all the hard work. I want to go use this for something. That doesn't necessarily mean, right, that you wipe out your whole stack and you go buy like the most ridiculous pool and house and you've now got a 20,000 square foot compound for no reason that you have to clean and maintain and all the other things, right? But maybe it does mean though that you start some sort of foundation, right, that can teach other people about Bitcoin or teach about something that's important to you or give back to your church or you're able to be more um, meaningfully involved spiritually, right? Um, what I've seen is that as people get more involved in Bitcoin, right, mat the material world starts to be a little bit less important because you're now denying yourself all of those things that you used to do during your high time preference days, right? And you're starting to be a little bit less into the material world. And then what does that leave, right? That leaves the spiritual world. So mm -hmm. I think it's finding kind of a balance between, okay, yeah, I, I, I now have this wealth and I also now have this maybe newfound spirituality. Like, how am I going to combine these two things and, and, you know, give back in a way that's meaningful to me? And I think the most important thing to think about is like, it's not just about you, <laughs> At the end of the day, right? Yeah, okay, you did all the hard work. You have all this Bitcoin. Great. Like, is that a meaningful life, though, that you, you know, you sit here and you think about me, 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 me all the time? Probably not, right? It's not just about, like, the things that are important for you specifically to have in your life. It's also about your spouse, your kids, the right. community around you, um, the larger community around you, right? And how you can give back in that way. So, look, growing up on these Bitcoin podcasts, like, holding Bitcoin, you are doing that for the community, right? And you've, you've heard every single argument from every mm -hmm. single, like, that's why I love this, like, holding bitcoin you are doing that for the community like that's the what's so crazy is that it's like it's it's the number one best thing you can do for yourself personally and it's also the number one best thing you can do for yourself for the community glo talking global community like fixing everything that's wrong with Keynesian economics and like the people that are in power in this world and all those things that's what's so amazing and that's why i brought up the word activism and and what i'm trying to do is combine these two concepts because i've experienced this I've experienced this personally, getting to this point of, I did it. Like I listened to all the podcasts, I did it. And we are, I worked with my spouse, like we did it. And we have a like great family and a like great stack of Bitcoin and um, just thankful for our jobs and thankful for this cash flow and thankful for everything day to day. And talking about the spiritual element of it and the material element of it, like I want people to understand, or I want to continue to articulating it better that it's all the same thing, like stacking Bitcoin and building like your material life and building your spiritual life. That is how you fix the world. Like mm -hmm. you as a family having a strong financial foundation and a strong, like just like goal oriented foundation, whether that be spiritual or material or, or anything like combining all of that is, and, and I'm doing this because look at, perhaps a harsh analogy, but look at the current like leaders and influencers of our world, like politicians and celebrities and people that have a lot of influence, athletes have a lot of influence on this world, their material possessions and the way that they like get attention through them is impacting the culture and society that we're seeking to correct through like Bitcoin, like through being a part of Bitcoin, continuing to like replace the fiat money standard, like that it's all connected. And so I, I almost, I want people to start expanding their vision of influence, like past Bitcoin almost. Yeah. 
Yeah, I hear you. It kind of reminds me of, um, I had this conversation with one of my clients recently where she said that um, her daughter was eating out a lot at restaurants and um, her she's an adult daughter now. So um, she's in her 20s and, you know, she can do whatever she wants at this point. And she's got a job and a credit card and a car and, you know, they don't really have very much control over her. Mm-hmm. But when the when the mom heard that she was going out to restaurants all the time, she had this thought of like, when I was your age, like I couldn't afford restaurants all the time. Like, what are you you know, what are you doing? Like going and not only just restaurants, but going to like fancy ones. Right. Mm-hmm. And going to the ones that are like, you know, Instagram hotspots and like things that, you know, are in papers and magazines and all like as the hotspots to go to. Um, and I think that it's just we've become accustomed to this very like high material standard of living. And I think that it's it really is kind of what we were talking about at the beginning. It's it's in this backdrop of like money is depleting in value every single day. So doesn't really matter if I spend $400 on dinner because mm-hmm. it was going to be worthless anyways in the future. So I might as well enjoy right now. Um, mm-hmm. I might as well have a view on the world of like, you know, the present is the most important thing and I don't need to think of to the future and, you know, um, you know, the past be gone and I'll deal with that in therapy or whatever. Right. But the material today, right. This material world that I'm currently in is the most important thing. Um, and Bitcoin does remove a lot of that, right? Because mm-hmm. once you are in a, in, a, in a position where your Bitcoin or your money in general can accrue value over time without you even having to invest it or think about, you know, buying an S&P 500 index fund or whatever mm-hmm. else it is that you want to do, right? Then if it makes you think twice about whether or not you're going to go to that ridiculous restaurant that maybe, you know, you don't need to go to where the food probably isn't that good, but like the scene is, you know, all that or whatever. Um, so it's just, I think it's, it's this backdrop in general that we currently live in is that the material world is the most important thing. Um, and that, you know, that, but we can't take that with us. We just can't, right. That's not the way the world works, right. There's generations and, you know, they come and go, and then the next generation comes and goes, right? And they, they're going to do what they are going to do on the earth while they're here, right? And that's the material world. Um, and that's not necessarily what's good for our souls. It's just not. Um, and that's why they you often hear like the trope of, you know, the wealthy person that is miserable and sad and alone in his large house, right? And it's because the material world is not the important one. It's what mm-hmm. we do, for, like how we nourish our, our souls. Um, and so, yeah, you can do that by holding Bitcoin, right? <laughs> you can maybe that nourishes your soul. Maybe it doesn't nourish somebody else's soul though, right? And that doesn't necessarily mean that you're hurting the community if you go and spend some of that Bitcoin on something. Yeah. So I think that's kind of the point that I'm trying to make is like, yes, it's good to hodl. It's good to hold. It's good to have a lower time preference. It's good to nourish your soul more than the material world, world around you for sure. Um, that will lead to a more purposeful, healthier, happier life. Um, but that doesn't mean that the material world doesn't exist and that there might be certain things that you need in it right now. Mm-hmm. Perfect. All right, three more questions. I'm going to yeah. ask you, we're going to get back to, I'm going to ask one, like how to, when you go and make an investment, how do you measure the equity of the investment and the cash flow of the investment, both on a SAT standard? We're going to ask you to explain this tweet and throw a tweet up on the screen for you to explain. And then I'm going to ask you about a Bitcoin product or service that doesn't exist yet that you wished it. So what to tee up the first one more, when kind of that conversation on cash flow and that conversation of that next thing. So like whether... Whether you, whether so like you and your partner are deciding like life is good and within reason, it's time for us to like upgrade our home or you're deciding life is good and within reason, it's really time to like swing for the fences and own this business and acquire this business. Then when you acquire either of those things, you have equity and like you have equity. However, as Bitcoin continues its dominant path, 
the equity measured in sats is going to be going down in sats units how do you think about that? Like, how do you, so what is the, when you're having this conversation, these goal setting conversations, how do you think about like the current stack of Bitcoin with the diminishing sat equity of the purchase? Yeah. So, I mean, on your home, your home's not an investment. People on Twitter hate to hear this, but it's true. Your home is not an investment. It's a consumption item. You buy a home because you want to live there. You presumably want to live there for a long time. Otherwise, I don't know what you're buying a home for. Um, there are things that you want to have in that home because they're important to you, right? Like it was really important to me that we have a hood above our gas stove, right? Because like I cook a lot and otherwise our house will constantly smell. But that also meant that I had to spend some of my sats to do that, right? That's a consumption item, right? We can call it, what? oh, you're making an investment in your home because more people want to buy it. Or you're making an investment in your home because it's not going to smell as much. Or you're making an investment in your home because you won't have to go out to eat as much because you'll be able to cook more with the hood, right? You can make whatever excuse you want in your mind about why it's a quote-unquote investment. It's not. It's consumption. So upgrading your home, yeah, you're going to see it go down in sats value. I think that like the thing to think about there is like, is the upgrade worth it to us, right? Is this the is this something that we want to spend our money on it since it's not an investment, right? And and therefore, like I would not track that in SATS terms. <laughs> I just wouldn't, right? There's kind of no reason after you make that decision that this is the right decision for you to then berate yourself along the way, along the 30 years that you live in this new house, that it was the wrong decision because had we not done that, we would have this much more Bitcoin now in the future. Um, I, I don't think that's the right way to look at things. I think that you can look at past purchases and learn from them, right? And say, oh, if I had not done that, then I would have had this many sats in the future and, and so forth and so forth. And I really shouldn't have bought that for X, Y, Z reason, right? Mm -hmm. That's better than being like, my wife and I decided to go buy this house. And now every single year, I'm going to tell her what a bad idea it was. Um, I thought so it was better. <laughs> I, totally. No, yeah. fully agree. Love the hood. That's awesome. <laughs> I thought of a better way to ask the question. I should have asked it mm -hmm. like this because I, you did a retweet of someone who said, if your net worth is going up every year, that's a reflection of you making good decisions. So, mm -hmm. and I, I'll, I'll tinker at the edges on whether like your primary residence is an investment or not, but like, whatever. Still for, I guess, how do you measure, answer the business question if you want, how to buy, value a small business, but then how do you measure net worth then? And how do you measure making good decisions, I guess, like year over year? Yeah. So regarding the business, what I would say is that either it's a hobby, right? Because it's not going to make money and it is going to go down in SATS terms, or it's actually a business where you are making an investment and you will see a return on it. So that equity, I think, is going to be a little bit easier to measure. And people know the difference between a hobby business and what's not, right? Mm -hmm. It could be your life's goal to have, I don't know, you make water bottles because you don't like the ones that you used to get in China. Right. And like mm -hmm. you want a U S made water bottle, but you've got so many stats you've been sacking for so long and water bottles are so important to you. Right. That like, this is what I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. And you know that this water bottle company is really not going to make any money, but it gives you such great joy to know that people aren't going to be drinking plastics from China. Right. That's a hobby business versus, you know, like something where you're actually able to invest your capital and assume some sort of return above and beyond what you could have gotten from Bitcoin. That might be hard right now in the current mm -hmm. environment. I think that where we're headed, no, it's probably not going to be that way. Um, and things will not be hobby businesses. Things will actually accrue true real value. Um, and I think if anything, it'll actually be easier to measure in the future uh, as opposed to hard where we're in this weird fiat world right now where Bitcoin's starting to make a splash, right? And like things don't look so good in Bitcoin terms. Um, so that aside, but then your net worth, right? We still do live in a fiat world. Like, I think that you can make a fiat net worth and you can make a Bitcoin net worth and you can see it over time, right? And obviously, the more Bitcoin you're, you're going to have, right, some years it's going to look really bad, right? Like, we're, we're going through a bear market right now. 
it's not going to look so good year over year to to price all of your assets in Bitcoin this year versus, you know, a couple of years ago. Um, but the general idea, right, is that your net worth goes up over time. And over time doesn't mean every day. Over time doesn't mean every year. Over time maybe doesn't even mean every three years, right? But it means that over a good, you know, five to 10 year period of time, that things are go- headed in the right direction. Um, and I think that if you're if you do own Bitcoin, right, and you mo- if you own Bitcoin in some capacity, that's going to be true. If you only own fiat assets, right, it might be uh, as you're measuring it in Bitcoin. If you were to do that exercise, I don't think it's going to look as good. Perfect, perfect, love that. Okay, the tweet. I don't have the text to throw it up on the screen to you, but I'm going to read it, and the audience will see it. Uh, this is your tweet. Finding the next best investment isn't a financial plan; it's a distraction from the real work you need to do. Tell us what that means. Yeah. Okay. So uh, this is really geared at S-coiners. <laughs> um, it really is. I, but it does also apply to fiat assets. I think what people often lose sight of is that the investment portion of your financial plan is the most important thing. Um, and in some regards, it is, right? If you only have everything in fiat money, right, then you need to be pretty good about how you're going to allocate that capital. Um, I think that that still applies in a Bitcoin world, um, but not as much, right? If you're going to be 100% Bitcoin, you know, maybe at some point in the future, you'll decide how you're going to allocate your assets. But this, like, if you're living in this Bitcoin world, right, you've removed all the noise already. You're doing exactly what I'm talking about in the tweet, which is we've removed the investment part of it. And now we're focused on all the other aspects of your financial plan, which are important, right? Which is maintaining um, a cash flow surplus. Um, planning for large expenses, potentially starting a business, doing some sort of activism, making sure you have a retirement plan in place, making sure you have estate planning in place, making sure that you're provided for if you do become diminished in some capacity, right? Making sure that you have that the next generation is available for you to be taken care of. Or if it's not the next generation, like who is going to be that person that takes care of you later on in your life, right? All of these other parts of financial planning, they don't go away. And in fact, they become more important as we start to remove the investment aspects of the plan. Um, and then also, I mean, I, I'm preaching at a choir here about the um, about all coins, but I mean, the, it's such a distraction. It really is such a true distraction. Um, I would much rather see people if they're if they're going to, you know, go down the S coin path. I'd much rather see people just buy the S&P 500 if they're not going to buy Bitcoin. Right. Then go down that path where they're literally investing in, you know, scam upon scam with people who are over-promising, under-delivering, and have so much marketing that it looks so shiny and glistening and bright, but it really is, I mean, it really is a deep, dark hole where your money is going to go in and never come back out. Um, And so instead of spending so much time trying to find, you know, whatever is hot right now, I mean, I I don't even know, honestly, I guess it's like helium or, I really don't even know, honestly. Um, or like the one that just blew up Terra, right? Like instead of trying to find a Terra, maybe spend some time like stacking some sats and looking at like your total financial picture and getting on the same page with your spouse, right? That's the real work that has to get done. Not this other weird, stupid stuff where you think you're going to invest a thousand dollars and have like $300 billion from it. Um, that I think distracts from the fact that like people don't want to save. They don't want to do the hard work of earning a living and then spending less than they're than what they make right and then being able to save that in something like bitcoin they want to be able to say okay i put away a thousand dollars and now it's gonna you know quadruple bajillion you know into whatever you know it's going to be and that's just it assumes so many things it assumes first of all that you'd be able and willing to hold it through that entire ride which most people don't do right it also assumes that you're able to find that thing that could take that ride um two things that are very very hard for for the average person to do so instead you know quietly stack sats, right? Do the hard work, make, you know, spend less than you make, right? Do some other financial planning and you're going to be okay. Love it. Love it. 
All right. The question we try to wrap every episode with is, what is a Bitcoin product or service that doesn't exist yet that you want and would use and think would be valuable? Yeah, I think we actually already hit on this. It's joint accounts and POAs. Sweet. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Would that have been your answer if I didn't yeah. like it? Good. Good. Yeah. Love it. Um, and I guess like an easier um, self-custody ramp is is really, I mean, I think like, and actually this is going to be a shout out to Cold Card specifically. So I think Cold Card is the best hardware wallet out there. I would love it if every single one of my clients was able to use a Cold Card. They are not able to use a Cold Card. The inter- interface on that is just not possible. Um, and like that would be, my dream would be that Cold Card spent a little bit time of time on their UI and just came out with something that was better so that the average person could actually use a Cold Card. Um, so that's my other answer. I heard Jim Kreider's clients use cold cards. Oh, That's do they? He, he dropped that on our episode, I'm pretty sure. So, but Good for Jim. <laughs> yeah, big shout out to Jim. Perfect. Yeah, no, look, this has been the fourth episode in our Financial Planner Series. Very thankful to Morgan. Morgan, close us out with where people can find you and talk to you. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Morgan with an E Rochard. Um, my financial planning website is originwa.com and my consulting through Money Owners is moneyowners.com. Perfect. Love it. All right, everyone. See you on the next one. Hey, all. This is Brian. You can reach me on Twitter at Harrington. Shoot me a DM with any feedback from today's episode. This has been a Choice App production. Bitcoin is becoming centric to personal finance, and we want to help you learn how to better engage with Bitcoin financial services. None of this is financial advice and is for education and entertainment only.